Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the Atlanta Man Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Rogers. And on today's episode, we have a good bit to discuss. Um, Last night was the national championship. We'll get into that. And I'll also get into the, the Falcons week 18 game against the New Orleans Saints and the pretty rough week that the Hawks had. Uh, but first, we are going to discuss the college football national championship game last night between Georgia and Alabama. Rematch of the SEC championship game. And Georgia came away with the victory, 33-18 to final. Um, pretty unfortunate result for myself as a Georgia Tech fan, but... Um, yeah, it is what it is. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're just going to get to this game now, even though as much as I would rather not, we will do that. Um, Alabama got the scoring started off in this one with a field goal with about 10 minutes left in the first quarter. And that was all the scoring in the first quarter. The first half of this game was very defensive, defensively driven, I would say. Um, no touchdowns were scored by either team. Um, and the, the score at halftime was 9-6. to six. Alabama but um, things opened up offensively in the second half a little bit um, especially for Georgia uh, they got the scoring starting in the third with a touchdown with a minute 20 left to make it 13 to 9 from Zamir White um, but Alabama would punch back fairly quickly with a field goal with 12:59 left in the fourth and a touchdown with 10:14 left to go up 18 to 13 after they missed the two-point conversion. So a pretty big swing right there to uh, put Alabama on top. But um, Georgia would strike back with a uh, 40-yard touchdown pass, which was just a pretty crazy play, and uh, to go up 19-18 to after they failed the two-point conversion. And um, then Georgia would score again, 26-18, to Brock Bowers' 15-yard touchdown pass. And then with 54 seconds left, the dagger pick six, 79 yards by Kali Ringo um, to ice the game, put them up 33 to 18. So that was that was it for all the scoring plays. Um, definitely some big impact plays throughout the game, especially especially later on. Um, some big turnovers from both teams. Um, but one especially for Georgia that looked like it was going to be the dagger, a Stetson Bennett fumble. Um. With a about um let me see here Stetson Bennett fumble with about eleven thirty left in the fourth quarter and Georgia was up thirteen to twelve at the time, but yeah he um it was a fumble that looked like it might have been a forward pass, but it was ruled a fumble on the field and pretty funny play actually because Branch of Alabama thought it was an incomplete pass and he was just kind of going to the sidelines to pick it up. As if it was just uh, he's just grabbing the ball like kind of nonchalantly um, after the play was over because he thought the ball was dead, but he somehow re- like recovers it right like he kind of toe taps like subconsciously I guess is the word or like he just kind of just did it on accident. Um, but yeah, he he got his feet in for the fumble recovery, and that kind of looked like it was going to be the dagger. It was just kind of a weird play. It gave Alabama a great field position, and then they scored four plays later. To put them up 18 to 13, but then they wouldn't score again. Georgia scored 20 points in the fourth quarter after Alabama scored the first six or the first nine, rather. Alabama scored the first nine points of the fourth quarter 
Georgia goes 20 unanswered to win the game. Um, that's pretty jarring and pretty pretty tough for Alabama. Um, it's just after that fumble, it just um, it just kind of fell apart for them. That was their last big play, really. Offense couldn't get nothing really going after that. Um, you know, their their next three possessions after that turnover that turned into a touchdown was a three and out for a loss of two yards on the drive punt. Um, then there was the interception for a pick six, and they got the ball back, and it was kind of a garbage time possession, and they turned it over on downs, and that was the ball game. But yeah, Georgia won. And uh, one thing I haven't mentioned yet was that in the first in the first quarter, uh, Jamison Williams looks like he tore his ACL. I don't know if that has came out yet. I could probably look that up because I I've, I haven't thought to check on um, what happened to him officially. But it was a pretty nasty looking injury on the play. He kind of he broke off a um, a, <clears throat> a pretty big um, catch when he did it. But the throw, if Bryce Young would have hit him in stride, it would have been a touchdown. But he kind of had to Bryce Bryce Young threw the ball kind of to the other side of him, not um not in his path really. So he had to adjust himself. And when he did that, his knee buckled really, really, really hard, and just kind of it just kind of did like a bending action on it, and it did not look good at all for him and um i believe that it is a torn acl um but yeah it is um i think it is a torn acl i don't see anything official official out but um last night after the game when kirby smart and nick Saban met at the at um the 50 yard line after the game like they do you could kind of hear Saban say they think it's an ACL. So I don't see any like official reporting that he's a torn his acl yet but that is all the speculation right now that's just really tough for Alabama. Um, they, you know, they lost Jonathan Mechie in the SEC championship game against Georgia with the torn ACL, and now Jamison Williams um, tore his in the first quarter. And in the first quarter, he had four catches for sixty-five yards, and he only played like less than a quarter. So that's pretty insane. But um, yeah, that's just tough for them. Those are two and really good receivers, two thousand-yard receivers for Alabama. Um, it's pretty rare. That you get um those those kind of guys on your team, um especially both of them being a thousand yards and for in Jamison Williams's case he had fifteen hundred receiving yards this year which is pretty wild, um but yeah that's just unfortunate all the way around for Alabama and definitely a big a big swing in the game but you know those kind of things happen it's part of the game um so yeah that was really unfortunate for all parties involved really because that was just a gruesome looking injury. But yeah, Georgia won this game. Um, you know, it it pains me to stay. It pains me to say because the one thing I've had as Georgia Tech fan, my my solace of the team being not very good over the past few years is that the um, Georgia Tech had the more recent championship over Georgia. It's kind of kind of all I had going for me, but uh, that changed last night. And um, yeah, definitely it was definitely a good game. You know. 33 to 18, 15 point difference is really not indicative of how close of a game this was because Georgia just kind of broke it open in the final minutes. But, you know, 90% of this game was um, nail biting. So that's kind of weird to say in a 15 point game, but that's how it turned out. Just kind of a kind of a weird ending of how things just kind of fell apart for Bamba. But yeah, that's um, that's all I got on this one. Um, we'll move on to some more football now. The Atlanta Falcons. Um, yeah, this, this game was not fun at all for the Falcons. Uh, season finale against the New Orleans Saints. Um, 
Falcons eliminated from playoff contention last week uh, with their loss against Buffalo. So no playoff hopes um, for them on in this one. But they did have something to play for, for sure, in this game. Um, the New Orleans Saints were on the brink of a playoff spot with a win and a 49ers loss. So the Falcons, with a win against the Saints, would eliminate them from the playoffs. Uh, that didn't happen. Um, fortunately, though, the 49ers did beat the Rams, so the Saints are kept out of the playoffs for this year. Um, but the Falcons dropped this one 30-20. to um, Just kind of a rough game offensively, especially for the Falcons. Um, I don't think the defense was terrible, terrible, but I don't think they were great either. Um, you know... Matt Ryan was fine in this game. wasn't great. Just kind of, kind of the theme. The Falcons were just okay in this game in all facets. I mean, the defense was not very good, especially. Actually, I take it back what I said. The defense was not good, <laughs> um, especially, especially with what the situation the Saints had on offense. Um, Taysom Hill got hurt in the first quarter of this game, and Trevor Simeon played for the majority of the game. And um, it just, yeah, it just, it just wasn't happening for the Falcons. Um, Alvin Kamara absolutely torched them, and they let Trevor Simeon just kind of flounder around, and not, they didn't make him do much. He did end up with two touchdown passes, but he went nine of fifteen for seventy-one yards. That's a four point seven yards per completion, which is pretty abysmal. Um, but yeah, that's that's um, it was it was it was. Already, Saints already have a tough quarterback situation with Taysom Hill. And on top of it all, him getting hurt and having put Simeon in, who the Falcons beat earlier this year in New Orleans, it looked like it was a, definitely a positive for the Falcons, but he played well enough, and they just kind of fed Alvin Kamara, and he had 30 carries for 146 yards. And when you let when you let guys do that, it's um, not going to end well. Saints had 195 rushing yards total in this game. Um 4.2 yards per carry. That's um that's not gonna get it done for uh for the rushing defense for the Falcons and that's just um you know kind of been a theme all year up front. They just haven't been great stopping the run and uh, that that got rain true in this game especially with a very good running back like Alvin Kamara. Um so yeah that's really all I got from the defense. I did not very play very well offensively. I mentioned Matt Ryan a little bit earlier. He goes twenty. For 33, 216 yards, a touchdown, and one pick. Um, all right game, nothing special. But, I mean, he didn't kill them. He did get sacked three times. O-line wasn't great in this game. Um, the pass blocking, not fantastic. And once again, that's kind of a theme of this Falcon season, something that they definitely need to address in the offseason. Uh, rushing the ball, Mike Davis led in carries in this game, uh, six carries for 30 yards. And for, that's an average of five yards a uh, Five yards to carry, but the Falcons were kind of playing for from behind most of this game, so they really had to throw the ball a lot. Because if you look at their rushing average, five point two yards per carry is very good, but um, you know they only carried the ball twelve times in this game because you're playing from behind all game. You got to throw the ball, and um, yeah, they they ran the ball twelve times this game. And Quadre Allison had the big run of the game, a nineteen yard touchdown, and that was his only carry of the entire game, which I found interesting. Because he has shown flashes of being very solid this year, but you know, um, Falcons just haven't given him much run. I mean, this year he only had 21 carries all year, but 105 yards on 21 carries and a touchdown—it's not bad. It's five yards a carry. So I mean, I definitely would like to get see him get more run, especially over Mike Davis, 
who had a dreadful game with two fumbles, two very costly ones at that. Um, one down, one late, it was kind of the dagger when he fumbled it, and one earlier on in the game. Um, Cordell Patterson in this game was kind of a non-factor. He did get banged up in it, in the game, so I think he was limited after his injury. But he only had four carries for 11 yards, and he only had one catch for one yard. So, yeah, he was just really a non-factor in this game, and he has just been the guy for the Falcons offensively this year. And if he's not cooking, it's uh, hard for the Falcons to win games, especially with just the other weapons they have at their disposal without Calvin Ridley. And, um, yeah, and just no, like, real huge running back threat besides him. The weapons are very limited, and they need him or they needed him this season to kind of carry the workload. And when he can't do that, this is kind of the result you get. Um, that being said, though, Russell Gage had a very solid game. He's had a few really good games this year. This was one of them. Um, he, got 13, he got targeted 13 times, caught nine of them for 126 yards and a touchdown. Uh, so he's, he's definitely had some games where he stepped up as being the de facto wide receiver one for this team when he's just – not not that I I really like Russell Gage a lot. Um, I think he's a very solid supporting wide receiver. I think he could even be a number two wide receiver in offense, and that's what the Falcons plan for him this year. Um, obviously not the number two target because of Kyle Pitts, but number two wide receiver um, coming into the year with Calvin Ridley. But yeah, he had a really good game. Nine catches, 120, 126 yards, a touchdown. That's that's um that's good, man. So he's he's had some good games this year, and this was definitely one of them. Uh, we're going to Kyle Pitts now, who did come into this game with a chance to set the rookie tight end receiving record. Um, I believe he needed 58 yards to get it, and he didn't come close. Um, one reason Russell Gage had so many targets and so many catches and all these yards was because the Saints just said, no, Kyle Pitts is not going to beat us, and he was doubled all game long. Um, so he see the two catches and eight yards. You're just not going to, yeah, I mean, he, he just couldn't get open. The Saints were just taking him out of the game. And um, in response to that, Matt just kept finding Russell Gage. Um, but, yeah, he's going to finish short of the rookie tight end receiving record, but still a fantastic season, rookie season for Kyle Pitts. Finishes with 1,026 yards. That's Falcons' rookie record for most receiving yards in a season. Um, set the Falcons' tight end record for most receiving yards in a season. Um, 68 catches, pretty good. He only had one touchdown this year, which, you know, it's it's not a really a huge deal to me. It's nothing I worry about with him. Um, the Falcons were just kind of bad in the red zone this year, so I just kind of chalk it up to that, that they just can't really, they couldn't really do anything in the red zone this year, so I don't really, I'm not going to blame Kyle Pitts for that. Um, but, yeah, he, he was the number one target for a majority of the season, and he had a pretty solid year. So good on Kyle Pitts. Good year for him, and um, yeah, so yeah, that's the season right there. Um, Falcons finished seven and ten on the year, and honestly, that's not that bad for what this team has and what they've lost during the year, and just the overall situation of the franchise. Seven and ten seemed like a kind of a like not a high end outcome, but a slightly above average outcome for the team. Because coming into the year, I thought the Falcons were definitely were probably like in the five win range, honestly, kind of similar to last year. But seven and ten, man. I mean, they just they didn't really beat anybody good. They just kind of beat up on the bad teams, which is fine. You know, I mean, they're not they weren't expected to beat any of the good teams. But I mean, one of the worst cap situations in the league. Everybody knows that. 
Falcons are in cap hell. Calvin Ridley only plays, I don't even know how many games he ended up playing. I can look that up, but, I mean, he, he um, I think it was Halloween when he took his leave of absence. So, I mean, the final two months of the year without your best offensive player is is rough, is rough. And guys had to step up, Kyle Pitts being one of them, um, another one being Cordero Patterson. Oh, uh, yeah, f- Calvin really played five games this year at the 17. So, yeah, it's it's tough, and he's your, he's your best player on offense. So, you know, it's um, it's unfortunate that he he's that he had to leave the team for his mental health break and for all the mental health issues that he's having. I mean, hope he's doing the best or he's doing better rather. And um, but you know that'll be more of an off season topic talking about Calvin Ridley. But it is it is a point that you should bring up that um, you know that going twelve games without your best player on offense, you know it definitely is a huge blow to a team, especially one that is limited with offensive weapons like the Falcons are, like I mentioned earlier. So definitely a um, definitely a okay-ish season for the Falcons. I mean, Arthur Smith definitely had some rough patches. He had some rough patches even in this game against the Saints. But um, overall, with the hand he was dealt, I think it's a fine year. It's a fine year. It's a fine start. And um, it's going to be a big offseason for the Falcons up ahead. So, yeah, they have the eighth pick in the draft that got announced right after they lost. So pretty solid, pretty solid um, high end pick with your first round pick, and yeah, you got you got uh, you got to fill some holes and um, you just got to make some improvements to pass rushing and your offensive line. Maybe add a couple more weapons in free agency, um, but we'll see. We'll get into more of that later on in the offseason. So that'll be a wrap on Falcons games in 2021 and 2022. We'll now move on to the Hawks who had another pretty rough week. Um, They're still dealing with a good bit of COVID at the beginning of the week. Um, Now they have definitely cleared things up and things are looking a lot better. But um, started out this week on Monday in Portland against the Trailblazers. And um, I'll go ahead and lay out the scene for this game of who was in and who was out because there was a lot of inactives for both teams. So for the Hawks, Sharif Cooper, Daniil Gallinari, Kevin Herter, TLC, Anyeka Kongu, and DeLon Wright exited protocols before the game. So, the Hawks had a pretty good amount of players at their disposal. They were still without John Collins. Cam Reddish was out in this game with an ankle injury. So they're still definitely missing some guys. They definitely got some help back with Herter, Kongu, Gallinari, all those guys. Um, Nate McMillan actually entered the protocols before this game. And um, for the Trailblazers, Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum were out. So this was a very favorable game for the Hawks. Um, but the defense just absolutely was abysmal in this game. Um, they lost 136 to 131. Trey Young had 56 points, his career high, and he had 14 assists on top of that. And um, I believe that he was the first player in NBA history to have a game with 55-plus points and 14 assists. I think that's right. Um, I'm pretty sure I did see that. That was the actual stat. Um, but, yeah, pretty insane game for Trey, his career high. Just um, he was kind of unconscious, 7 of 12 from 3, 17 for 26 from the field, and he was a perfect 15 for 15 from the free throw line. So that's that's great. But the defense, man. 
Anthony Simons was the guy on the Trailblazers that went off for them. He had 43 points in this game. I believe that was his career high, too, and he's kind of been balling out all year for them. Um, but, man, I'm going to say it a lot while we're talking about the Hawks today. The defense has just been terrible, and that's just kind of all I can say. The offense is good. 131 points, awesome. And this game didn't go to overtime, by the way. This is in four quarters. You know, when you see a score, both teams are in the 130s. Like, oh, it probably went to overtime. No, it didn't. Um, and that's a kind of a testament to the Trailblazers having kind of bad defense, too. But giving up 136 to Portland without C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard is just inexcusable. Um, that's just, that's really bad. And that can't happen, especially in the game. You're favored to win on the road just because of their shortcomings on the injury report. I mean... That's bad. It's a really bad loss all the way around. You wasted Trey Young's career high, 56. I mean, he really just popped off for you and kind of brought the, brought a win to you on a silver platter, and the defense just wouldn't take it. And, um, yeah, we'll um, we'll revisit the defense um, in, this, in the game after this one um, against the Lakers. But first, we'll talk about the Kings game, the one game this week in which they won. Uh, they won 108-102 to 102 against Sacramento on the road. A much, much needed win. Um, Trey Young was out in this game after the Portland game because of uh, some back stiffness. So he got the he got the night the night off for this one. Um, nothing major. I think it was just probably just more like load management stuff. He's still probably making his way back from COVID a little bit maybe. That might be part of it too. Like a lot of these guys are still – I mean, these guys had COVID, so it's come kind of uh, – kind of uh, tough for them to get back in the swing of things super quickly. But anyway, uh, Cam Reddish was back for this game. Um, after his ankle injury, he was able to play. Um, but they ended up starting TLC and DeLon Wright as their guards in this one. Um, and they were actually able to get the win without Trey against Sacramento, who's not very good, but they still definitely have some talented players. Um, Darren Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, they both had good games for them, but that was it for um, Sacramento. Uh, the only other guy that was in double digits was Buddy Heald, and he had 11 points. But, you know, they're, they're, the rest of their players, man, she's kind of abysmal from all of them except for Fox and Halliburton. And the Hawks were able to take advantage of that. And it's just good, better defense for the Hawks in this game for sure, but they're definitely going against an inferior offensive team. Um, they're, they're very limited offensively, Sacramento is. And the Hawks were able to, you know, spread things around and distribute well, well enough for them to um, – get enough offense across. Kevin Herter led the way with 25 points. Um, and then every starter was in double digits. Uh, TLC, DeLon Wright, Clint Capella, Cam Rush, Neil Gallinari, all in double digits. Uh, they're still without Bogdanovich and Collins in this game too, so they had to work around that. But, um, yeah, just kind of an all-around team effort to get the win in um, Sacramento without Trey Young. So we'll move on to the Lakers game, which is kind of the headliner of the week. It was a primetime game on Friday night on ESPN. And the defense was so bad again. And um, that's really the main focal point because the offense was pretty good again. I mean, at halftime especially, the it was just like if the Hawks could play defense like a normal team, just like even like an average rate, they would be up by a lot in this game because they, the offense was clicking in the first half, man. I mean, they, were, they had 61 points at the half. But um, the Lakers had 64, and it's just like, come on now. I mean, John Collins came back for this game. Bogey came back for this game. Um, so they kind of had everybody back pretty much from COVID. And they're still working their way back, obviously. But both of those guys um, played somewhat well. 
Bogey really struggled on defense in this game. That was kind of the main focal point for him. But Collins, I thought, was pretty good. Trey had a good game, 25-14. and 14. He was solid. Um, Herter, did, Herter had a pretty good game, too, off the bench with 16 points. Um, Gallinari and Akangu were solid off the bench. Like, the offense is good, man. I mean, they, they scored 118, gave up 134. I mean, that's just kind of been the story of the season. And if they can't, I mean, they just got to figure something out on defense. There's been all the trade rumors circling around. They've been linked to Ben Simmons this week, actually. And, I mean, the Hawks, they need defense. And, I mean, if that's the route that they want to go is maybe try to get Ben Simmons, that would certainly help defensively. He is a very good defender. But I mean, until then, you got to figure out something. You got to you got to put in institute some better lineups defensively. This is a kind of an offense first team, obviously, but you know they've got to be better defensively than this. And I mean, the the point of attack defense has just been the main issue this year. Um, there is one stat I want to bring up about the defense. This is something I really want to harp on this episode because it's been so bad. Um, so we'll, we'll, I'll read this. This is from Glenn Willis. I believe he works for Peachtree Hoops, but this is after the Lakers game. Um, he said the Hawks have allowed 130 plus points in four of the last six games, the two in which they didn't win. And the four losses opponents have shot 63 of 141 from three. That is 44.6%. That is 47.25 points per game. Um, and the league leader, or the worst team in the league, and um, most points given up on at the three-point line on average is the Bucks, and they only give up 42.9. The Hawks have given up 47.2 in these last six games. They give up 130 points. And letting teams shoot 44.6% from three is just not going to work ever. I mean, that is just a ridiculous pace, especially for a team. Just like on, on a team basis, like, you know, you're going to have, there's some guys that can shoot 44% from three. They're rare. But as a team to do that is just nuts. And to just give that up in this large of a sample is pretty, pretty wild, honestly. And that's just been the main thing all year. The perimeter defense, point of attack defense, it's just a huge issue. It needs to be fixed internally, externally. I don't care how you do it, but it needs to be improved. And uh, that's all I'll say about that. We'll wrap things up with the last game of the week. Another loss against the Clippers. Uh, they had the back-to-back games in Staples Center. They lost this one 106-93. to um, Definitely a better defensive showing in this one. Um, but later, late in the game, it was just kind of a good bit of garbage time. So it's not like a, like a huge testament to the defense because a lot of the game in the back end was just not very competitive. Um, no Hawks player had more than 20 points, so the offense struggled a bit in this one, only scored 93 points. Trey and Bogey led the way with 19 for both of them. Um, and, yeah, in this game, the Clippers were without Paul George, and they're um, obviously without Kawhi Leonard too. So pretty rough, a rough loss without um, without Paul George playing for the Clippers. He was just kind of been their guy all year. He's been playing pretty well for them. Um, it was um, actually... Amir Coffey was uh, leading the way for them. He had 21 points, and his he's in his second year, so he's a younger guy. Um, but he had he led the Clippers in points with 21 in this game, and yeah, just pretty rough loss to lose to the team without their without their two best players on the floor. And um, yeah, just kind of exhausting talking about the Hawks this week because it was just a very frustrating week. 
So I'm going to stop doing it because it's just kind of um, kind of annoying talking about him, especially the defense. So we'll we'll end it here and we'll end the show here. Um, if you made it this far listening, I really, really appreciate it. I will be back next Monday with another episode. So I will see you then and I will see you in the next one. Thank you.